0: Wednesday, July 18th, 2012, episode number nine of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Riemer on footballnation.com. Welcome inside episode number nine of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Dreamer, available exclusively on footballnation.com and for download in the iTunes Store. Please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast and the other great shows available on footballnation.com and the iTunes Store if you've yet to do so. We are back this week after our one week layoff last week. Hopefully, you all survived that. I had a nice time vacationing on the beaches in Southern California. I'm sure you all care very deeply about that. If this whole broadcasting thing doesn't work out for me, I'm, uh, I'm I'm considering a career as a beach bum out there in Southern California somewhere. I think uh, it would fit me well. I only do two things well. Talk and tan. The two T's. Other than that, I'm useless. Luckily for you, this is a podcast where I'll be talking with you for the next half hour or so about The latest happenings and frankly the hottest happenings around the NFL in the football world. As always today, we're doing our first down segment, leading off the show with that, the biggest on-field story of the week in the NFL. And this week with training camp just a couple weeks away, teams are settling and in some cases not settling. Their contract disputes with their franchise players will talk about contracts on contracts on contracts, everything from Drew Brees to running backs to Cliff Averill, Wes Welker, all that and more And our first down segment. Second down segment, biggest off-field story around the NFL and, in some cases, the football world. I mention that because this week we are going to discuss the Penn State situation, more details on that, lurid details on that with the freeze report released last week. We were off last week, of course, so I didn't get a chance to comment on it. Two weeks ago, last time we spoke, I called for the death penalty to be instituted upon Penn State. I still stand by those statements. And frankly, the Joe Paterno defenders, and there are still some out there, and even people who are non-family members of Joe Paterno still out there defending him. Uh, To me, their logic just continues to be uh, more flawed by the day. We'll talk about that. Third down segment, switching it up. It's our big up slowdown, talking about everything from the Mark Sanchez, Tim Tebow situation in New York. Antonio Holmes had some comments on that this week. Um, Jonathan Vilma continues to fight and sue the NFL to try to uh, get himself to play this season. So we'll discuss that. The summer of Gronk over? What? Patriots telling Rob Gronkowski to simmer down in the partying before training camp. We'll talk about that story, too. Then in the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. First down, we talk about contracts on contracts on contracts. Fourth down segment, revisiting that, talking about the franchise tag, the single most restrictive thing any of the major professional sports league puts upon its players, and the NFLPA in last year's lockout didn't mention a peep about it to the NFL owners. That is shocking to me. I have an utter disdain for the franchise tag. I'll share that with you as well in the Reamer rant. As always, feel free to email me. My email address is areamer at bu.edu, and also follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at AlexReamer1. It's Football Nation today on footballnation.com. We'll be back in a moment. So with NFL training camp only a couple of weeks away, here we are smack dab in the middle of July, NFL training camp of course coming up towards the tail end of the month, teams in a lot of cases, and in some cases, well teams in a lot of cases are settling their contract disputes with their franchise players, teams in some cases not settling their contract disputes with their franchise players, but of course the biggest news of the past week has been the New Orleans Saints finally. Finally signing their star quarterback, Drew Brees, to a long-term deal. The biggest contract in NFL history. Five years, $100 million overall. 60 of that $100 million is guaranteed. Brees can earn up to $40 million in 2012. However, here's a little nugget. The deal only carries, and I put the air quotations around only, but it's all relative. The deal carries a $10.4 million cap hit in 2012 for the Saints. Huh, how does that make sense, Alex? $100 million overall, $60 million guaranteed. Breeze can earn up to $40 million in 2012 alone, but yet the cap hit for 2012 is $10.4 million. Yes, a lofty figure, but not crippling. How can that be? Well... That's because, folks, the NFL cap isn't quite crap, but it's pretty damn close in a lot of respects. Never, ever fall for the excuse that teams will give you. And that excuse is, oh, we can't pay this guy because of the salary cap implications. No, 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 no. Especially in regards to star players, teams can manipulate the cap pretty much however they want. If the Saints didn't sign Drew Brees long-term, it wouldn't have been because of the salary cap implications. No, $10.4 million can be handled. The reason why the Saints wouldn't have signed Drew Brees is because they didn't want to pay him the real dollars. Not the cap dollars, the real dollars. The reason why teams in other sports don't sign players long-term is because they don't want to pay the real dollars for them. But in the NFL, teams rely on that little handy excuse, the salary cap excuse. Well, it's nothing more than that. It's just an excuse. The Drew Brees contract with the Saints tells you that. Teams can manipulate the caps pretty much however they want to do it next time your favorite team tells you well we can't sign this player because of the salary cap implications you know it's utter BS the reason why that team didn't want to sign that star player is because not of the salary cap dollars but of the real dollars that's what it always comes down to that's a little cause of mine that you'll hear brought up Throughout the weeks and months, as the Football Nation Today podcast continues. Now, as far as the actual deal, Brees, of course, gets a bigger contract than Tom Brady, a bigger contract than Peyton Manning, which is fine, because Breeze was signed after those guys were signed. The price for players goes up and not down, and the Saints have nobody to blame here but themselves for this record-setting deal. They could have had Breeze at a price similar to or less than what Brady or Manning received if they signed Drew Breeze a couple of years ago. The Saints knew the contract situation here. They won the Super Bowl with Breeze in the 2009 season right then and there. The Saints could have looked at it and said, hey, we have Drew's contract coming up in a couple years. We just won a Super Bowl with him. He's the face of our franchise. Heavily important figure in the city of New Orleans post-Katrina and the recovery going on here. We have to sign him long-term. Let's rip up the final two years of this contract now. Get a deal done. If the Saints did that, if they had the foresight to do that a couple of years ago, or hell, even last year at this time, they wouldn't have had to pay Drew Brees the biggest contract in the history of the NFL. If they got the Brees deal done before Manning signed, before Brady signed, or again, even last year at this time, not when free agency was right across the— not not when free agency was still a year away, the Saints wouldn't have had to pay this kind of money to Drew Brees. But they decided to drag it out for whatever reason for as long as possible. And, pardon my bluntness here, but the Saints— Paid the price for dicking Breeze around. They dicked him around. Didn't sign him long term a couple years ago when they could have. They had him play out the duration of this contract. Then they franchised him. Things get contentious on both sides in negotiations like that. Saints weren't giving an inch. So obviously the Breeze people weren't going to give an inch either. And what happens? Drew Breeze winds up getting rewarded with the highest paid contract in the history of the National Football League. If the Saints wanted to avoid this, They should have signed Breeze a couple of years ago and avoided this whole situation. So the Saints sticked Breeze around, and as a result, they paid the price for that $100 million worth, $60 million of which is guaranteed. So besides Drew Breeze, there were other star players around the league who were in contentious contract disputes with their teams. A couple of those players, running backs... And a couple of those cases were settled. The Ravens signed Ray Rice to a five-year, $40 million deal this week. The first $24 million of that $40 million is guaranteed. Now, Ray Rice is the focal point of that Baltimore offense. And this deal puts him in line with other top earners across the league. Sean McCoy of the Eagles, Chris Johnson of the Titans, Adrian Peterson of the Vikings. Um, If I had to choose a running back to sign long-term, Ray Rice or Matt Forte, Bear signed Matt Forte to a four year deal that will average him $8 million per season. For the past four years, of course, Forte has been Chicago's most consistent offensive weapon with Jay Cutler battling injuries. Um, if I had to choose Rice or Forte to sign long term, I'd probably choose Ray Rice just because I think Rice is more versatile a weapon. Out of the backfield, not only can he run the ball well, but he's a good receiver out of the backfield too. And of course, with the NFL becoming a passing league, I think that is a vital weapon for running backs to have in today's day and age, not only be good runners out of the backfield, but be good receivers out of the backfield as well. But when you look at Ray Rice and Matt Forte and the importance those running back hold to their offenses, um, they're really the anomalies when it comes to today's NFL because there are only, I would say, a handful of offenses where the running back is the focal point. And actually, two of those offenses, you could say, are the Baltimore Ravens and Chicago Bears. Now, is signing a running back long-term, even guys who have had the recent success like Rice and Forte, are those wise investments? No, they're not, because as we know, running backs break down. But for the next couple of years at least— you can probably assume that Rice and Forte are both going to continue to be elite weapons at the running back position. Thus, their team's offenses will continue to depend upon them. So, when you look at this in the grand scheme of things, I think a wise move for the Ravens and Bears to lock up both Rice and Forte long-term. However, another team whose offense is dictated by the running back. The Jacksonville Jaguars did not sign their running back to a new deal. Maurice Jones-Drew still playing under his old contract. Now, the Jaguars did sign kicker Josh Scobie to a four-year, $13.8 million deal. However, they could not get anything done with Jones-Drew. And we've covered this story before. I'm on the Jaguars' side here. I am. Because unlike Rice, unlike Forte, unlike Breeze, unlike Welker, unlike Avril and we'll talk about those guys in a moment, Jones-Drew uh, isn't in the final year of his contract. He still has two years left. He'll be paid a base salary of $4.45 million in 2012 and $4.95 million in 2013. Now, is Jones-Drew underpaid? Yes, he is. But he wasn't underpaid a couple of years ago when he signed the contract. This deal was front-loaded. That's the way it was designed. And if Maurice Jones-Drew had a problem with the structure of the contract, he shouldn't have signed the deal. The same can be said for Jets cornerback Darrell Revis, who, like Jones-Drew, with a couple years left in his contract, wants a new one. Look, and I've said this before on the show, I am totally on the side, totally on the side of NFL players who hold out in the final year of their deals, I'm on the side of NFL players, for the most part, taking their teams for all they're worth. Because in the NFL, contracts are not guaranteed. Because in the NFL, the career span is far shorter than any of the other major professional sports. In the National Football League, if you're, an, if you're a player, you have to cash in when you can. So, nine times out of ten, I'm on the player side when it comes to these kind of disputes. But, here's the thing, Rivas... And, in this case, Jones-Drew, already cashed in. Jones-Drew is looking now for, I believe, his third long-term contract. He still has two years left remaining. He has to honor that deal. And also, at 27 years of age now, it's unclear as to how much longer Jones-Drew can keep this up, especially given his small physique. So, the Jaguars have not lunked out a long-term deal with Jones-Drew, and in my opinion... Rightfully so. And it's very rare I'll take the team side in those kind of debates. Um, such as in these two cases, Lions and Patriots. Lions with Cliff Averill, Patriots with Wes Welker. I'm not taking the team side here. Uh, defensive end Cliff Averill, though, is not mad at the Lions for not signing him to a long-term extension. Averill will play for the $10.6 million franchise tag this season. Now, Avril has quietly beat ben one of the elite defensive ends in football over the past couple seasons, he is the only NFL player, here are some good stats, with at least 19 and a half sacks, nine deflected passes, seven forced fumbles, and four fumble recoveries their previous two years. So Averill quietly has become one of the elite defensive ends in the NFL. And we've had this conversation before as well. Defensively, it's not necessarily about having a great defense anymore. Yeah, that's nice, and it helps, but all you need really to contend in the NFL today are a couple of elite playmakers on defensive side of the ball. And what is Cliff Averill? I just read you the numbers. He has become an elite playmaker on defensive side of the ball. The Lions are a team who need all the help they can get on defense. It was their Achilles heel last season, obviously. They have a guy there in Cliff Averill who's continued to improve his performance over the past couple seasons, seems to be at that elite level. Why don't the Lions sign him long-term? Don't they want Cliff Averill to be on their team for the long-term? Why not sign him for the long-term? Why not rip up his contract, work out a new deal? Because next year, if Averill hits the open market... The Mario Williams contract, the Julius Peppers contract, those guys set the bar for defensive ends. Averill is going to demand money pretty close to what those guys got. And because the Lions next year may allow Averill to hit the open market, they won't get a discount. Which is what they would have gotten if they wrapped up this contract. But instead, they're deciding to go this route, taking Averill for everything he's worth. So, next season, don't be surprised if Averill then in turn takes the Lions for everything they're worth. And the Patriots, conversely, offensive player, but a guy who's also immensely valuable, cannot get a deal done with Wes Welker, who will play for the nine and a half million dollar franchise tag this year. Now Welker can be franchised again next year too at eleven and a half million dollars. Which really makes little sense for the Patriots to do, because then they would wind up paying Welker $21 million over two seasons. It would be far cheaper to sign Welker to a three-year contract, and the Patriots know that. So why, Alex, are the Patriots doing this with Welker? Do they not want to keep him long-term? Yes, you are right. The Patriots, it seems, have deemed the 31-year-old Welker to be a poor investment, even for three years. Why do I say that? Because you look at the numbers. $9.5 this year under the franchise tag. If the Patriots want to keep Welker next season, franchise him again, they'd have to pay him $11.5 million. That's $21 million over two years. If Welker's just looking for a three-year, $27 million deal, the same contract the Patriots gave Randy Moss a couple of years ago when they first extended him... Uh, $9 million per year versus $9.5 million, $11.5 million per year. Of course, it's a great savings. So the reason why the Patriots have not worked out a long-term deal with Welker is because they don't want to sign him long-term. They deem the 31-year-old Welker to be a poor investment, which I simply don't get. Because Welker works so perfectly with that offense. He works so perfectly with Tom Brady. Obviously, Welker's career is um, obviously Welker's career is aided by playing with Tom Brady. But in 2008, when Matt Castle was the QB, Welker caught over 100 passes there, too. He's an elite receiver in this league. Him and Brady work so well together. He's only 31. It is puzzling to me, quite frankly, why the Patriots, especially with Brady only being around for a couple more years... Why the Patriots don't want to lock up his favorite weapon, Wes Welker, for three additional seasons at what would be former more reasonable money than the franchise tag. Well, the only explanation for that, though, is the Patriots don't want to sign Welker long-term. Don't be surprised if this is his final year in Patriot Blue. So contracts on contracts on contracts in the first down segment. Moving on now to our second down segment, Looking at the Penn State situation, Freeze Report, of course, was released last week, told us a lot of ugly things, featured a lot of lurid details, including the fact, and it now is a fact, not a supposition, that Joe Paterno was indeed aware of the 1998 sexual assault charges levied against Jerry Sandusky, all in the Penn State program were aware of it as well, A.D. Tom Curley, President Graham Spanier, on and on the blame goes. Everybody affiliated with the Penn State football program was aware of the 1998 charges levied against Jerry Sandusky, and nobody did anything about it. They, of course, still allowed Sandusky to have keys to the facility, and even more egregious than that, the Board of Trustees were not informed of the charges against Sandusky. Graham Spanier and his correspondence with the Board of Trustees didn't mention a word. About the assault sexual assault charges against Sandusky in 1998 this was all kept under wraps until of course in 2001 when Mike McQueary saw Sandusky showering with a young boy in the locker McQueary reported that to his superiors and what did his superiors do Spanier Curly Paterno they did nothing they did absolutely nothing they didn't report this to the police didn't report it to the authorities, they kept it under wraps. And the Freeze Report talks about how this culture permeated the Penn State University, so much so that even janitors in 2000 who encountered Sandusky having inappropriate affairs, inappropriate contacts with young boys in the Penn State football locker rooms, even the janitors didn't say anything about it because they knew, hey, keep this under wraps, let's not get it out for the sake of bad publicity. Or for the sake of avoiding bad publicity, I should say. And defense here of Penn State, and defense here of Paterno is sickening because the people who do it are merely relying on the legalities of it. You've all heard the arguments, and it's not just coming from the Paterno family, it's coming on some others. Bill James, special assistant to the Boston Red Sox, of course, the stat guru in baseball, right? The founder of the modern-day sabermetric movement in baseball. Bill James is a stark defender of Penn State and Paterno and the actions there, or lack thereof, I should say, by the university. And you know the defense, relying on the legalities. Well, the DA dropped the case against Sandusky in 1998. Charges were never officially filed. So, hey, charges never filed. Turn a blind eye to it. Really? I mean, from a morality standpoint, you're still telling me that Sandusky, after 98, should have still been allowed unlimited access into the Penn State facilities? People also say, well, I mean, Mike McQuery was the one who saw Sandusky in the shower with the boy in 2001. Paterno didn't see him. Graham Spanier didn't see him. It was McQuery's responsibility to go to the police and see saw the crime. Well, that's like saying, well, I mean, I only heard about the armed robbery. I didn't see it, really. So I'm not going to tell the police anything if they ask me. I mean, that's a bunch of BS. And Bill James also said in a radio interview with ESPN Radio over the weekend that Joe Paterno wasn't powerful at Penn State, which is why no one should blame him for Sandusky not getting reported to the proper authorities because Paterno was really isolated and not powerful. Which is laughable. If he wasn't powerful, then why did Tom Curley and Graham Spanier include him on the emails? after the 2001 incident asking what to do with Sandusky if Paterno was just a football coach and not powerful within the university, then why the hell did Sponnier and Curley even ask Paterno about the matter? Why did not they just say, screw you, you're just a football coach, we'll handle it? That is a laughable, laughable statement. Unbelievable. And the fact that a guy as smart as Bill James could spout such nonsense like that in a radio interview is even more puzzling. Now, the conspiracy theory out there is Bill James is really good friends with Joe Poznansky, who, of course, is writing the biography on Joe Paterno set for release in August. Now, I think Joe Posnanski is one of the best sports writers out there. He was a guest on my Red Sox podcast, Without a Curse, a couple of years ago. Terrific interview, terrific guy, terrific writer, a modern-day wordsmith. Um, but word on the street is this Posnansky book on Paterno, much of it which was written prior to the Sandusky allegations and Sandusky case, of course— um, is kind of hero worship in a sense, and, uh, has been pretty mum on the topic, and Bill James and Posnanski are really good friends, so maybe Bill James was doing his friend a solid there, but whatever the case, the excuses continue to be laughable here, uh, After this freeze report here, there's little doubt and more allegations have leaked out this week. Now people from the 70s and 80s coming forward saying Sandusky sexually molested them then, which is no surprise. And would you be surprised to find out that Paterno and others within Penn State knew about Sandusky's sexual mistrials with young boys as early as the 70s and 80s? Of course you wouldn't be. Um, There's no doubt about it. This was an institutional cover-up and the program has to be abolished. Get rid of the program three years without football, I'm sorry, that's the charge. SMU got the death penalty in the 1980s because of what? Poor recruiting methods? I mean, really, that constitutes a death penalty in the NCAA, but covering up a wide and, frankly, wild sexual molestation case isn't worthy of the death penalty in the NCAA's eyes? How does that make any sense to anybody? And they still don't get it there at Penn State. They've elected to keep the Paterno statue up. The Paterno family still hasn't really recognized the victims when talking about the incident. And their father's cover-up of it. No football for three years is what needs to happen. It needs to happen. And, oh, well, Bill O'Brien, what about him? He just took the job. Now you're going to make him set up for three years? Or how about those players who had nothing to do with Sandusky? Had nothing to do with the cover-up? Well... That's how it works in the NCAA. If you're going to argue that, then the death penalty should never be instituted, right? I mean, that's what happens in the NCAA. The people who come after pay the price for those who came before them. That's how it works in college football. If you're going to argue that, then the death penalty should never be instituted because the people who come after the guilty parties always pay the price in that. In the NCAA, that's just how it works. If this isn't worthy of the death penalty, then nothing is. and they, Then they should never hand out the death penalty anymore. Three years without football, actually, in my opinion, seems like a modest price to pay for covering up this massive, massive sexual molestation case for not years, but decades. So that's our second down segment. Moving on to our third down segment, bit of a lighter note here in terms of some of the topics. It's our big up slowdown. First statement, Saints linebacker Jonathan Vilma is pushing for a quicker hearing on his bid to block his season-long suspension stemming from the NFL's Bounty, invest- bounty Gate investigation. Big up or slowdown, Vilma is fighting the good fight. Well, for the past nine weeks, this has been a big topic on this show because it's been one of the biggest stories around the NFL over the offseason. Spoken about this ad nauseum, I'm sure you know my take. My take, of course, is slow down. Vilma is not fighting the good fight. I still can't really figure out what Vilma is arguing. I guess he's arguing that the Bounty Gate, not that the Bounty Gate didn't exist, but that there isn't enough evidence to, uh, specific to him to warrant his specific suspension, which to me is really arguing semantics, which to me is not taking responsibility for your role uh, in, these a- in, in these actions. Uh especially because every court has ruled against Vilma here. Every court has ruled against the NFLPA. Every court has ruled against Jonathan Vilma. He's arguing semantics. He's not taking responsibility for his actions. In my opinion, there's enough specific evidence to incriminate anybody affiliated with that Bounty Gate scandal, and Vilma, as a captain of that team, as a leader of the NFLPA, has to take responsibility for the actions of himself and his teammates. In my opinion, a year-long suspension especially in today's climate with all the risks affiliated to concussions and other health problems which the Saints' defense were trying to impose on their fellow players. In my opinion, Vilma, as a captain of that defense, has to pay the price. This year-long suspension, he is most certainly worthy of it. Slow down. Jonathan Vilma not fighting the good fight. And every court's rolled against him as well. I'm curious to see how this turns out. My guess is Vilma will lose again. Jets wide receiver Santonio Holmes said the 2QB offense in New York can work if it is scripted, with Tebow operating with a specific set of scripted plays. Big up or slow down, this training camp hasn't even begun yet, still a couple weeks away, and this is already a mess. Big up. Scripted plays? What if the game flows differently than the script would dictate? I mean, really? Scripted plays? That's the answer? I still don't understand why the Jets really acquired Tim Tebow. They didn't acquire him to back up Sanchez, because you don't want to waste a talent like that just sitting on the bench. But they also didn't acquire him to take Sanchez's starting job, obviously. So you didn't acquire Tebow to back up. You didn't acquire Tebow to start at quarterback. You're not going to change his position to tight end or something. At least as of now that's not the plan so why did you acquire him so we could run a few trick plays really is that worth the distraction that his presence intrinsically brings upon your football team and organization and it's nothing against Tim Tebow he didn't ask for this this is all the media is doing but still you know the distraction Tebow brings with him, wherever he goes, or I should say the attention he brings, which can turn into a distraction in a media market like New York. You didn't acquire him to back up. You didn't acquire him to start. What did you acquire him for? And is that worth the attention and thus the inevitable distraction his presence will bring upon your football team and upon your quarterback, Mark Sanchez? No, I don't think so. This is already a mess, and training camp hasn't even started yet. Big up or slow down? Well, first let me read you the statement. Rob Gronkowski, after appearing in ESPN's The Body Issue, nude photos, after parting at the Espies last week, eh, funny, I didn't see Gronk in LA, guess him and I missed each other, and co-hosting Access Hollywood recently, Rob Gronkowski was reportedly told by the Patriots that the summer of Gronk is over before training camp has even really begun. Big up or slow down? The Patriots are right! and telling Gronkowski the summer of Gronk is over and that Rob Gronkowski's partying is something to worry about. I say slow down. Gronkowski has been the most productive tight end in football over the past two seasons. It is clear that his partying does not interfere with his on-field performance. And because that's the case, I couldn't care less what Gronk does off the field. Really. You know, I mean, my policy and talking about a player's private life is always this. If it doesn't affect his public life, meaning in this case his football life, his play on the football field, then I don't care to comment on it. And with Gronkowski, to this point, his off-field antics, his off-field lifestyle, his off-field partying has not affected his life on the football field. He's been the most productive tight end in football, bar none, over the past two seasons. So I couldn't care less about what Gronk does off the field, and frankly, I'm disappointed. The Patriots told him the summer of Gronk is over. Rob Gronkowski is everything you'd want in a football player on the field and off the field as well. He is a massive personality, something I wish the Patriots had more of. However, conversely, he's he's just a fun dude. You know, I mean, Yo Soy Fiesta, going back to that last season, everything after that. I mean, Gronkowski is just a fun dude to cover, a fun guy to follow. Sports, at the end of the day, is entertainment, at least to us. Fans, followers, it's entertainment. Tell me somebody who's been more entertaining over the past 12 months than Rob Gronkowski. You wouldn't be able to do that. And it's all good-natured fun. It's all good-natured. He's not getting arrested for DUI. He's not getting arrested for assault. You know, he, he's, he's, he's not bringing guns into nightclubs. He's not doing any of that. Just having fun, having a good time, like he should. His life is great, and he recognizes that, which is also great. However, conversely, this is indicative of the Patriot way and why the Patriots continue to be as successful as they are. They make exceptions for nobody. Not even, I think, the best guy going in the NFL today gronk now speaking of DUIs and assault Marshawn Lynch and Des Bryant were both arrested this week Lynch for investigation of a DUI Bryant for misdemeanor family violence charge Elvis Doomerville of the Broncos was arrested this week as well for road rage so big up or slow down NFL teams should keep their players locked in cages (laughs) from the period between mini camps and training camps I say big up really I mean, the amount of trouble these guys get into between mini-camps in June and training camps at the end of July, early August is unbelievable. It really is unreal. So yeah, if I were an NFL team, I would really consider locking some of my guys up in cages for this month period. But then again, it's also not surprising, seriously. I mean, these guys are young. A lot of money has been thrown at them. And I don't like to stereotype like this, but frankly, it's true. A lot of these guys are uneducated. They don't come from educated backgrounds. Don't really come from stable backgrounds. A guy like Des Bryant is what, 22, 23 years old maximum, getting all this money thrown at him. It's a lot of pressure to deal with. A lot of situations going on. I'm sure. You know, I can understand why you might snap like he did, possibly. You know, I, I, it's understandable when you look at it from that perspective as to why these players get in as much trouble as they do kind of inevitable and you look at the situation of it and that's unfortunate but it's the truth however still it's amazing how much trouble these guys get into and to reiterate if I were an NFL team yeah I I would maybe consider locking some of these guys up in cages between mini camp and training camp just to avoid all this fourth down segment it's the Reamer rant what's bothering me this week the franchise tag why the NFLPA does not fight to get rid of the single most prohibitive thing to a player's rights in American professional sports is beyond me. It's beyond me. I mean, in no other sport can a player reach free agency and then not reach free agency. And in some cases, like Welker with the Patriots, it can happen twice. You can reach free agency and then not reach free agency. it It's really unbelievable to me. And look, the franchise tag... Cliff Averill, the Lions, is going to get paid $10.6 million. No one's crying poverty for Cliff Averill. But because of the um, tenuous nature of an NFL career, a long-term deal is vital. And the franchise tag is just a one-year thing. Players in the NFL want nothing more than long-term commitment. And once they reach free agency, they should have that right to seek that long-term commitment. Just like Every other player in professional sports and every other league in this country. Once you're free agent, you should become a free agent. And the fact the NFL PA does not fight against the franchise tag continues to validify validate, excuse me, my statement that they are maybe the weakest PA in all professional sports. It's unbelievable. Now, yes, baseball is arbitration, but remember, you are eligible for arbitration before you're a free agent. Once you're a free agent in Major League Baseball, you can hit the open market. That's what works in the NBA, that's it works in the NHL, and that's the way it should work in the NFL. They're the only sport that when you're a free agent, you can then not be a free agent. The fact the NFLPA didn't take this to the owners in last year's lockout is beyond me. And if I were players, I would be pissed that my Players Association doesn't spend more time fighting against the franchise tag than they do fighting against Bounty Gate suspensions. Into another edition of the football nation today podcast with yours truly alex reamer as always email me a reamer at bu.edu hit me up on twitter my twitter handle is at alexreamer one hopefully you survived your vacation last week back this week of course we'll be back next week as well as training camp continues to approach us stay cool out there a hundred degrees this week in the metro boston area and i'm not complaining Better than 20 degrees, which is what we get around here in the wintertime. Be by a pool, be by a leech. Enjoy yourself. Don't get in trouble like these, like these NFL players do. Try to avoid all of that. And uh, so long, everybody. Enjoy your week. As always, feel free to comment on the show on the show page. Two weeks ago, our last episode before vacation, had a lot of good show comments there. Keep it up. Like the participation. Like to hear from you. Like to interact from you. Thank you for, like to interact with you. Thank you for listening, and as always, we'll catch you next Wednesday on the Football Nation Today podcast.